you leave your home, you can't go back, you're nothing, you know? Like, just like came over, start from the beginning. That's Abdulaziz Dukan. He's a 20-year-old student from Syria, but first and foremost, he's an artist. Since being given a camera by a volunteer in a refugee camp in Greece, he's used powerful photography and digital art to bring a voice to the residents of the camp through his Facebook page called Through Refugee Eyes. I met Abdulaziz while he was living in that refugee camp in Greece back in 2016, and we became friends. I'd never met anyone like him. He was only 17, but he was resourceful, positive, creative and funny, despite the crazy situation that him and his family were living in. He was volunteering his time as a translator whilst also capturing incredible portraits of the people around him. Since then, Abdulaziz and his family have had a life-changing journey to find somewhere safe to make their home, whilst he continues to create art around the themes of migration, community and love. We recorded this podcast the day after Abdulaziz had a big exhibition of his work in London, something that we could only have dreamed about happening when we first met. Abdulaziz, welcome to the first episode of the Worldwide Tribe podcast. Thank you so much for having me, the first um, special guest. It's very exciting for me to have you as the first guest because for me you're the ultimate success story um, of everyone that I've met in these last four years. You are just completely excelling and it's amazing. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure, actually. But I'm also just a person who's really trying to find his life again. But um, maybe the difference is just that I keep trying and I don't really give up at some point. I believe that everybody is also trying as much as I am trying. But maybe just um, I just had a chance and they didn't have it yet. Yeah, well, you ha- have it I, yet. I, I think that, well, do you think that it's a case of you just having good chances? Or do you think that there's been a lot of work involved in getting to where you are now? Well, for sure, there are a lot of lot of works. I mean, even even if I remember myself in Greek refugee camps right now, which which is like three years ago from now, I was going to every volunteer asking if they need help. So and I didn't even speak proper English, but just because I wanted to practice and I wanted to do something, and I didn't want to, you know, to lose my time in a camp, I was going to all volunteers, and all of them they still tell me this. But I was going to all of them and saying, like, hi, if you want, I can show you around. I mean, it wasn't really that special place to show them around, but I was just trying to make some friends and to speak the language. You were like a tour so, guide. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> tour guide in a refugee camp. Because that's where we met, right? It was three yes. years ago. That's the same place. You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast, stories from the refugee crisis. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. Three years ago, 2016, right, that we met and you were still living in Greece in a refugee camp. What are your memories of that time? It's a special, I mean, it's really special memories. So um, even since like 
February since since February 2016 I was in Greece and I stayed in the camps in the beginning I lived in the camps for mm. five months and it's really special time like right now when I remember it yes it is one of the most important thing that happened in my life because there I started everything and what I do believe at some points the hard moments that you have are the special ones because they are the ones that that really kind of change your personality, change the way you look at the world and change the way that you behave to do things. And there I started everything. I mean, there. if I wasn't there, I, I don't think I would be able to speak English today with you. So it's very special, like the effects, the effects that everything happened with me in that time, still with me today, I mean, like literally everything. So when you say everything, what do you mean? So photography, for example, mm-hmm. I mean, As a photography, everything in photography, I shouted it there. And I still remember really, like, lots of people were laughing at me. They're like, you know, you're doing photography. What are you doing, dude? I, I had just this little camera, but I was just uh, trying to do photography. And I was, I liked it. So today I'm being, you know, photographer. But everything I'm doing, I still remember all those amazing volunteers who gave me those cameras to be the photographer I am today. So you got a, your first camera given to you by a volunteer? I did, I did. So I got my first camera through um, one of the volunteers I was with. She's an Italian volunteer. And um, I got my camera just, yeah, I mean, she just texted me and I was working with them as a translator. I was <laughs> interpreter for them for for two weeks. And then she just talked to me and she said she wanted to send me something. And and I was like, no, thank you. It's, it's really a pleasure. But still, I'm really... And I wasn't doing what I was doing just because I was waiting something. But practicing English was one great thing for me. Another thing was meeting people. I mean, I was meeting people. I was practicing and helping my people there and trying to do something. Um, at least not just sitting. Um, but then she decided to, to support me. And she was like, yes, I want to send you something. And I was the whole time like, no, thank you. She still contacted me like, yeah, she contacted me the the next day. She was like, yeah, you know, I will send you something. But tell me something you use. Otherwise, I send you something you're not going to use. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right. And then I was like, yeah, send me camera. <laughs> It's like yeah, surprising her. But um, but yeah, then she... She, she was like, me. well, I didn't mean a camera. Yeah, I, I mean, thought I you like, wanted I, I some meant, chocolate. Like, you know, chocolate, something, you know, something small. It's like, yeah, you know what? This is when you, when you don't say anything. Like people will be asking, what do you want? What do you want? You're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, no, what do you want? You can tell us. And you say something big. They're like, oh God, it was better if we didn't ask the last time. <laughs> But no. So I asked it for a special, like I asked it just for a camera, documenting camera. Mm-hmm. And I got this small camera. I don't know how much it cost, but it costed, like for me, it it meant everything. It meant like the whole world, you know. So I got it and I was uh, trying to do photography and I started just like this, going around. See that everybody was just laughing at me and they're like, wow, photographer, <laughs> ah, the photographer is here. You know, Abdulaziz, like that's what I really want to highlight to you that stood out to me when I met you was that you really had a lot of agency when it came to doing stuff in the camps like you were not sitting around waiting for something to happen to you and exactly as you say you didn't necessarily speak the perfect English but you were working as a translator and you were translating not actually knowing what you were translating all of the time and you just you made that work anyway and you were taking photos of people without a camera and then with a very basic camera people might have been laughing at you but you still you you still did it and that's what really stood out to me then and it still stands out to me now because you had 
an exhibition of your photography in London this week. So, I mean, who's laughing now? Hey, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's right. I mean, the only thing that took me really up there, like that, that, that pushed me, is that I was speaking maybe 20% English, but other people, they spoke zero English. So I was better than, not be- I mean, better somehow in English than them. And this is how I was uh, translating for them. <laughs> And this is why at some points I understood nothing from what I'm translating about, but they didn't understand what I was saying. So, um, Have you heard the saying, fake it till you make it? Uh, not yet. That's right a now, good yeah. one for you. It's a positive thing. It's, you know, the fact that you gave yourself that title of translator or photographer until actually that's exactly what you were doing on a professional level. And yeah. that's where you're at now. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I was also trying. Like I was trying, you know, to... to to translate, to learn, and to... And I had this dictionary, even when I was working then with the medical team, who I worked with just because I wanted to learn English, because they were, like, you know, Americans and, and just people from England, so they were the, the English native speakers. And, um, I mean, I was translating for them, and I really, the first days, I didn't know most of the things. But still, I was trying. I was trying to learn the new words, the medical words, and I was asking the whole time. And I had this small dictionary... The notebook I got from one of the volunteers, one of the doctors, and I was using it, and then I was writing all the words, and it was lots of vocabulary that I was writing just to be able to translate for people. So um, I was sometimes when people saying something, you know, when they when I have to translate for them, I had to go back to my notebook, search the word, find the word, say the word, then I memorize it. So um, this is how it goes. I mean, like yeah, today I do speak English, but it's not like I speak it from nowhere just because I was I was just a trying and I was putting myself in positions that I don't I can't really handle it but then after one time two time I was kind of better at it exactly I think that's where often we forget that yeah you have learned English very quickly you've learned Dutch very quickly but that doesn't come with a lack of or without a lot of effort so for the first time I was speaking Dutch and I was trying to speak with the, with the bus driver, I said Menir instead of, instead of um, Mevro. So there was a big, big kind of mistake, which is like, you know, saying saying like Miss in, instead of... Um, mister. Yeah, Mister. So Calling her like, Mister instead of Miss. And yeah. my mum's Dutch, so I speak Dutch as well. So that, I can imagine so, how... Yeah, I was, I, that was so... That, was, uh, <laughs> that, that didn't was a go down mistake. very well. I mean, they were looking at me, she was like, what? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm trying, I don't speak Dutch. And, and But then yeah, I fixed it and I corrected it and then I remembered it again. But um, in all languages, I mean, in the beginning, it's, it's just hard. And it's actually just about trying, like pushing yourself and putting yourself in positions that you don't really belong to. I mean, Yeah, I think that often there's a fear around trying and failing, right? That getting things wrong, that people might feel like embarrassed. I've got three little brothers who are all foster brothers. They're all refugees, one from Eritrea, one from Afghanistan and one from Sudan. And none of them spoke any English when they first came to the UK. They really started from the beginning, you know, a couple, Two of them didn't even know hello or thank you. And uh, my mum, being Dutch, English is her second language. And she really took it on board to be super patient with them, to just be like, okay, every day we're going to learn new words. She put post-it notes on every single thing in our house, like the kettle, the fridge, the spoon, fork. And when they knew the word, she took 
she took the note away but she would test them and make sure that they knew it and it would be like plate bowl everything in the kitchen was labeled with a with the english word and yeah it was a real process you know three years four years later they're still they're still learning but that patience and coming at it from a place of love and wanting you to learn and grow which is really great i mean like you know you i've never seen a baby for example who's born he can run in the beginning to 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 walk a little bit some steps then you you will run but it, it doesn't work that you will just you know come to this world running directly it's for everything for languages or for anything actually in the world like in the beginning it will be hard but then step by step everything become easier Yeah, I think that that's a beautiful thing to just touch on that maybe we think as adults, we want a quick fix. And we live in a world at the moment, I guess, don't we, where lots of things are a quick fix. You can get exactly the information that you want at the click of a button or you can buy what you want at the click of a button often on using the internet but actually things that are really worth working for don't come at the click of a button they do come with time and effort and energy and perseverance and resilience i think yeah even before learning any language like it's it's more about patient so if you're patient to learn the language if you're really like not afraid not you you're, you're you don't really fear making mistakes for example here when it comes that you can do it but patience is one of the most important thing actually to start I think anything is not just a language yeah and patience I think is something that you need going through the whole asylum process as a refugee in general right because this journey is taken from what I see with people takes a lot of patience because there's a lot of waiting along the way have you experienced that For sure. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, right now I'm really like a universal person. So I lived in Turkey for a year and a half and I lived in Greece for a year and a half. And I live now in Belgium since two years. So um, it took a really long time until I'm like finally, you know, in, in Belgium and I'm more like settled and, and that's it. I know there's one language that I have to learn, but I was suffering like, you know, going to Turkey, learning Turkish, then leaving, going to Greece. Then in the beginning, like, all right, let's learn Greek. Then it was like, no, let's learn it. English and I was learning English then when I was all right with English was leaving again going to Belgium where they speak three languages so learning in the beginning Dutch and right now I'm moving to, to Brussels so right now I'm learning French you so, started learning French at first didn't you you learned, I, the, learned the wrong one of the three I did I did I did so when I got when I got to Belgium that was weird when I got to Belgium I was like yeah Belgium is nice man so I was like all right let's search it let's learn Belgian And that would be great language. I was searching online and I got to the point that I've seen um, like um, Dutch, French and German. And I was like, yeah, maybe I, I searched it wrong. And I was searching again, Belgium. Yeah, that's right. And then um, I've seen the languages and then I was shocked <laughs> that there are three. And I started learning French because the French is all over the world. And then when we got the decision, it was go to the Dutch part. So it was the opposite. and um, Typical. Mean, so then you had to learn another language. But your Dutch now is pretty amazing, hey? I mean, Dutch is, is wasn't really so hard to, to start just because it wasn't... Many stuff are like English. What about your family? How's their Dutch? So they're also fine, kind of. I mean, my my sister now, she speaks Dutch. She speaks very good. She she has done the sixth, uh, the sixth level. And now she's going to start working. And then my brother also speaks that. And he was in the fourth level. And now he just opened his own uh, little Syrian restaurant, which is amazing also in Brussels, just like a couple of weeks ago. That's so um, great. 
Tell yeah, me about is, that. I want to come and visit. I love the sound well, of sure, it. for sure, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. So it's um, pastry, pastry restaurant. There's pizza. There's other like manakish in in I mean in Syrian. Mm, it's like what's manakish, that? which is yeah, pastry or oh, pastry. Pastry, yeah. pastry. Say, <laughs> this, I'm I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Um, I knew what you meant. Any yeah. any um, way that you say the word pastry, I'm going to recognize it because yeah, I like it's pastry. Like pastry. So. <laughs> Pastry, baklava, some sweet stuff. It's really nice. It's still hard beginning, but if they pass this period, everything will be fine, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I think any business at the beginning is really tricky, but imagine doing that in a new country with a new language and new laws and, yeah, all of those things must be hard to navigate. That's a very big challenge. It's a very big challenge because it's a new country, new laws, new languages, new people. Everything is new. We know nothing. So we're starting things that we have no idea how, how is it going to work. So I mean, this is exci- this is really exciting. Also, like, let's see. But you may you might fail, and this is what we were talking. Even I was talking with my brother. Like, okay, what if it doesn't work? And I was like, yeah, all right, you tried. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We we tried, and 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 that was it. Like, we can't do any more. But we tried one more time, and we're not going to give up. So then we will see something else. We will try something else. This is life. I mean, life is about trying. It's so. about trying. It's about f- even if you fail, you've still learned something, hey? For sure. And so you won't make the same mistakes. Yeah, I think it's about getting comfortable with the worst case scenario. And if the worst case scenario is trying it and failing, at least you can be proud of yourself that you tried it, right? The worst thing is not doing anything at all. See, that's the point. All those big business, they started from one step. Many of them, you know, it was also a hard beginning. Everything is hard in the beginning. Um, nothing is easy. Like um, I mean, we started. We started just difficult thing from leaving home, from the decision to leave home. So nothing is is harder than that. We started talking about leaving home and what Abdulaziz had had to leave behind. Our apartment, for sure, we would we weren't able to do anything with it. But it was just like I mean, we couldn't go back there, and we know nothing about it anymore. But any other physical stuff, we sold everything when we were there, actually when we left to, to Turkey. I sold my laptop, I sold my other phone, I sold any stuff actually that I had, like we were just selling everything, like, alright, let's sell everything, let's have enough money, let's go. Yeah, let's just hope for the best. So Abdulaziz, let's start from the beginning, let's go back to Syria about your life in Syria, about what it was like growing up there. Because I think that now in the UK, we hear about Syria and we imagine or we know about the war, but we don't hear much about before the war or what Syria was like and what it had to offer. And I know that Damascus, for example, was a holiday destination for many people around the world and had lots of history and beautiful architecture. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your life growing up as a kid and what you remember of those times. Syria is is a it was really it's still actually I mean like um, it was one of the most like beautiful beautiful places in the Middle East I mean there are many stuff were really nice about it it was safe it was really good everything was great um, me growing up as a kid I lived with my family and my family are you know they're, they're really wonderful I mean we're just one family we're all together doing things and I still remember it very well I still remember like everything, you know. I asked Abdulaziz about the house he had grown up in and his friends and neighbours, and we started talking about different religions and whether there was a conflict between them. In my in my building, my in our building, for example, we had the three Christian, Christian, like, you know, Christian people, Christian neighbours. One of my very good friends was one of them, and we were going to school together. 
And the same with my mother. She was just sitting with them and having coffee and I was everything fine. When I was there, there's nothing, you know, it was just fine. I mean, it's just you look at people as a humans. So growing up in Syria, you grew up in a Muslim family with Christian neighbors. And that was always a very normal, natural thing that it wasn't, you know on your radar that your friend and your neighbor was a Christian and you're a Muslim and that that was ever a problem? That was, that was never, I mean, I, I've never thought about it in this way. And, and I mean, I asked my mother like once when I was very, like very young, I mean, it's like seven years, I think when I, when in the beginning I started going to schools and out of interest, I asked my mother about like, yeah, why doesn't she wear, like, why doesn't they wear hijab? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, they're just from other religion. And I, that was it. I mean, I wasn't like, there wasn't something else. I was just like, they're from other religion. And we had to respect other religions. I mean, as you're respecting, as we're expecting from them to respect us, we had to respect them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is how it was, just relation based on respect and based on um based on love and respect. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in Homs, in the city, right? But then you left to move to the countryside for three years. Yes. And what was that? Why did you make that move? Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, that was after six months of the whole revolution. And uh, it was a hard time a little bit because it was, you know, um, checkpoints were everywhere, tanks were on the street. It It was a hard time. And this is when my family decided to leave to the countryside because there were already not a lot of people even in our neighborhood so we were one of the last actually people who were there really lots so, of people had already left yeah i mean every everybody everybody left because everybody knew that it, it's not going to end people knew already expected already that it's a long-term thing so and this is why many of them left and we left actually we were really late like we left not a lot of like yeah most of my friends at some points i had to say bye to many friends and that was the hard thing about it because many of my friends left and I was there almost really lonely. Um, and then we decided after like six months, or more, more or less, we decided to leave and then we left to the countryside. So what did that shift look like in those six months? What Did you remember how you felt seeing your city change and going from like a normal happy childhood to suddenly the revolution and seeing tanks and in the streets? And do you remember that and how, what it felt well, like? Well, I do. I do. It's, it's, it's really hard sometimes in the streets, seeing how things change, seeing how there's here something, there's here something changed, there's something broken, there's here like, uh, like you know, it's, it's just weird like seeing the city just dead at some points you go you don't see many people on the streets you're like where are the people going so um, it's hard it's really it's weird to see such a change like you can't even imagine and try to imagine now london for example where we're where we're living like right now to go to the city center you don't find many people find stuff broken on the streets you'll find you won't find many people on the streets you're like what's happening like this is the same place where it used to be so busy, everybody on the street, this here, this there, this there, everything is closed now. It's it's very hard condition. It's, it's hard, it's really deep in the heart to see like your city passing hard time. Yeah, I can't even imagine. It's really interesting to think about what, like here living in London, what that would feel like for here. And I think that that's a really good point to make because a lot of people think about Syria as somewhere far away and somewhere that they can't imagine but actually you know this could 
very easily happen anywhere and say that it did happen in London it's really important I think for us to just put ourselves in those shoes of somebody like you who went who experienced that as a child and think about what would I do and how would I want people to react to me and that's how I then try and yeah move forward with the work that I'm doing I mean that's that's the point that's the whole thing about it I mean imagining I, I know it's hard but then if you watch movies, for example, you will see how destroyed the cities and how, you know, like even Inception, for example, you see the whole city is just destroyed and like this. You will see exactly the same right now in Syria. When you go to some neighborhoods, you will see the whole, the whole, the whole place is just destroyed. Mm. And that's, um, that's hard to imagine, I know, but that's the truth. Like 80% of my city today is just destroyed. The city where I used to live, the city where I used to go and buy things and to go with my family, do shopping and do stuff, 80% of it is destroyed. Do you remember being scared um, in those six months that you were in the city? Well, I mean, I was. Everybody everybody is. I mean, we as human beings are for sure scared. Do you think your parents protected you a lot from what was going on around you? I mean, at some points they did, but at other points, because they have seen what is happening, they didn't want me also to be silent, because if I am silent, he's silent, she's silent, all of us are silent, nothing will happen. Do you remember how your parents dealt with the situation, whether it was a hard decision for them, whether to stay or whether to leave? I mean, it was. It was a really hard decision, but at some points they wanted us to live a better life. So they didn't want us to stay there. Then it's hard to find food. Then we have to pay more for food. Uh, we can't really cover it. I mean, we can't cover... We weren't rich like there. Mm. But, I mean, our, we weren't poor, but we weren't rich. So we were in the middle, and we can't really, like, you know, cover cover the whole condition, like having more money, paying more money here. And it, it hurts. It really hurts when you're somewhere and you start seeing people leaving like your friends is leaving this guy is left our neighbors left our other neighbors left so yeah i can only imagine yeah so. do you remember a time feeling like okay this is it like we can't go back we knew i mean we knew really like after two three months we knew that nothing will, will be the same mm-hmm. when when a glass is broken like you know it will be hard to repair it Is there anything from your childhood in Syria or your time in Syria that you particularly miss now? Anything that really was better for you there than it is living in Europe? Well, my friends, I mean, like my friends, my, my, you know, like those those friends who you meet while you're 10 10 or like even 9 or something. Like they're they're the special ones because you know them since, since your childhood. I really miss them. I am... But uh, unfortunately, like even right now, I know, yeah, I know people now since, you know, many, many years. I'm still in touch with many people. But in real life, like now, you know, I'm Belgian since two years. So the people I know now since two years, I see them like mostly kind of daily or something. Yeah, they're new friends, I guess. They're not people that know you from, yeah, your childhood. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. But unfortunately, I miss that sometimes. I miss just being like there and just having my friends and and just being now, for example, in university, Mm -hmm. having my life. But that's one of the most, yeah, I miss I miss for sure our house because it was also so special. It was a really nice house, like it was a really nice apartment. Um, did you grow for, up in it your whole your whole childhood? I did. I moved to it when I was four or five. Mm-hmm. So it was very special for me. I had many memories there. It was just special for me. Um, so, yeah. And you don't, know about, you don't know about what's happened to it now? I don't know. The last thing we knew, actually, that everything was stolen and it was burnt. 
So that was the last thing we knew. Um, right now, we have really no idea what's happening. But like, you know, now, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, sometimes you have to forget it just because you don't want to think about it anymore. Um, so we didn't really forget it, kind of. But we're like now, yeah, okay, we're very far now. We don't know what's happening. Mm. So, Do you think you'll ever go back to Syria? I hope so. I really hope so. Um, I mean, all right, I'm here today. I'm learning. I'm trying to do my best. I'm doing everything. But then, for sure, I would love to put all my knowledge building my country. But my country who respect me the country who really respect me and, and don't just kill me because I'm saying freedom and street, not just because I'm saying my opinion about things that I can say my opinion about without being killed. My country who, who really, like, from with people who can listen to me, who can listen to me with just respect, saying, like, okay, this is your opinion, and we're going to make this based on your opinion. So I would love to go back to this country, but I, I don't really... It's like I mean I wouldn't really choose, and I, I would I I don't really think I'd like to go back to country where they where they I'll put all my knowledge, then they will you know they will just shoot me because my opinion. Yeah, so you wouldn't want to go back to Syria as it is now, basically. Yes, yes but in the future, it. hopefully, it will be a place where yeah you can express yourself. And... I hope so. I mean, this is what what everybody's hoping for, mm-hmm. and everybody I think would like to go back there if we're just living like human beings there um yeah i guess it's your home and always will be right for sure yeah i think that everyone recognizes that that the place that you grew up and like even if you've lived somewhere else for a long time and you love it there's something that is it will always be in your heart you know that i mean nowhere is like home so you know wherever you are it will never be like home exactly but Abdulaziz, again, you're amazing for making home. When I saw you in Greece, living in a camp, when I, you know now that you're in Belgium and even here in, in London, I see that you, you feel very, or I sense that you feel very at home and comfortable around new people, actually. So you're creating creating a home wherever you are, which is pretty amazing. That's true. I mean, okay, what, what plays role in the whole thing is friends. Because the people I meet, the people I know are really wonderful, amazing people. This is why I I feel much better. Like I feel, just I like like I have friends. I have people who are supporting me. This is why exactly, I really yeah feel good about it. But um, from the other side, yes, I mean I live I live now almost five years away from home, which is also crazy. From the other side, like I mean I lived in my home for like you know fifteen years, and I live now half of not half I mean like I live now 24% of my life just your adult life I guess so you left Syria at 15 in the end and you're on the on your journey for three years actually right even more I mean like Belgium two years and Greece Uh one and a half and Turkey one and a half so it's almost five years now yeah okay so as an adult yeah you've been in Europe really um so talking about that journey that you made is there like what I'm really interested in is you had quite a typical journey crossing the Mediterranean Sea in a boat from Turkey to Greece right and then from Greece you were relocated to Belgium but the whole thing took a long time and I know that it was very frustrating when you were in Greece because you didn't really have much information and you didn't know what was going to happen and your brother was having a baby right I remember that's right and let's talk a little bit about what you were trying to do along your journey because not only were you trying to get to Belgium and learn English and actually you were trying to do something a lot bigger than that with your page through refugees eyes right on facebook and on instagram abdulaziz's page 
I'm going to tell you guys, uh, the lit to the listeners, <laughs> um, that you have this incredible page through Refugees Eyes that really represented your story and your journey, the people that you were meeting, and, and actually represented other people going through what you were going through to try and get the message out there as far and wide as possible, right? From your own personal perspective. And for me, I'd, I loved over the years working with you and sharing what you were writing because I was also writing about what I was seeing and what I was experiencing in the camps that I was visiting but you know it's very different coming from me as an outsider who was not living it and coming from you who there's nothing that hits home or that no one can tell your story better than you can basically and for me that was really really powerful like there's so many bits of your work that I remember over the years like your letter to Donald Trump for a start but also yeah lots of your work that was not just photography but fo- using photoshop to actually create images that made people think made people question I mean the common thing is that we're trying to do something we're trying to change how people see things um but um yeah when I was in accounts actually I've seen how media and how things are going and how we're really being presented by people who don't know anything about us like media exactly um and they're just caring about money they're just caring about their business and and this is why i came to idea to the to the idea that like okay let, let me just try to do something about it and there were many people who really like using the hate speech kind of to push refugees from here the ones who are stealing your jobs and making you and uh, making you not safe in your home So seeing such things made me really think like am I like this am I criminal am I thief am I here because I want to have just money am I here because of this and that this is when it came to the idea like no I am not and most of the people I know they're not because I know them what they're looking for is like a chance to live fine to go to school then college then study then work and most of them are already educated most of them are already like they they finished their work they were they finished their study they were working or they're crafted like you know they're having skills so um, i i wanted to do something and this is why i created through refugee eyes and then i was writing and it was going bigger i'm like i don't know who who are those but it's crazy that there are people who are reading this and this is why i continued i was like yeah maybe i am alone by myself today but let me try and i was trying to tell the story to people like to even one single person but i was spending my time to try to educate people about us which is saying who we are where we come from why are we here are we really what they think about it was just a trying to to show them what is really happening um and and that's why i really like yeah i mean this is why i made it this is why i was the whole time trying to share stories with people and take photos and show the reality as it is yes what i was doing i was never trying to say like hey look we're just amazing people no i was saying the whole time like hey listen there are many criminals there are many thieves of us yeah they are just like in other countries like it's just like maybe 0.1 zero something or zero point even one i mean even if it's like from a thousand there are 20 very bad people let's say it doesn't it doesn't really represent all of them mm-hmm. because it's just it's just people it's just us so yes we have we have bad people yes we have good people yes and um, we have we have there are criminals of us from us yes there are thieves yes there are well educated people yes there are people who are just waiting a chance there there are from every community mm. this kind of people so 
a lot of people assume I think that refugees are poor or don't have money or don't have smartphones or because we do a lot of work installing wi-fi into refugee camps and people always ask us oh do people have smartphones do people have phones and I think yeah as you say there's a lot of very well-educated people people that have studied had good jobs had nice houses had fancy cars all of these things and they weren't leaving Syria because they wanted a better job or economic opportunity they weren't they were fleeing persecution not poverty that's very that's really important like that's really important today I Some of my friends, for example, in Turkey, I didn't have it personally. Some of my friends in Turkey, there are those people who are asking me, like, ah, do you have TV in Syria? And it's, it's really funny. It's like, really, like, like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, go search Syria. Like, it's not a, it's, you know, like, it's not a country where, say, we're living in a, in a, in a, in a desert. Um, Abdulaziz, you just saying that people thought that you all lived in the desert in Syria reminded me of your desert dessert story, which you <laughs> told me the other day, which I really enjoyed. Can you tell it? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, in the beginning of learning a language, you know, you will be suffering in the beginning. So um, uh, I was making this interview with my friend and then he was making this interview with me. And I was like really passionate about it. I was talking a lot about it. I'm like, yes. You know, Renati was asking, like, what do you think? What is your message to Europe? What is your message to the world today being in a refugee camp? What do you think they think about you? What do you want to represent? How do you want to, to represent yourself? So it was just like a deep conversation. And I'm in the middle of the conversation. I'm like, yeah, you know, we're not just people coming from the desert. <laughs> and this is when they stopped and they were laughing. And I was like, what's going on, guys? And they're like, you know, there's a difference between desert and desert. It's like, all right, thank you for letting me know. <laughs> It's um, an important distinction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if it makes you feel better, I don't think that I ever spell dessert or desert the right way around. Another thing that people were really interested in is your life now and whether it's been difficult to integrate into life in Belgium and what's been like the biggest challenges or, or differences from Syria. Because I know that when I talk to people especially people from the Middle East. And I've got met a lot of friends from Syria who tell me that life in Syria is very community-driven, that people come into each other's houses, that you're, you know all your neighbours, that you meet up with friends a lot more than, you know, we live in London and we don't always know our neighbours or often don't know our neighbours, even though we live very closely next door to each other or on top of each other. And is that something that you've noticed in Belgium that you've had to get used to or is there other things that have really taken you by surprise? This is one of the hardest thing I think now for for everybody. Um, I mean, different of societies, different of um, from individuality to like being very socially kind of having impact and being social with everybody, going to other people's houses and just having tea, sitting there, making new friends. That's that's very different. Mm -hmm. Right now, I live in Belgium, and it's I, I like I I have to say that it's very very hard to meet people everybody is isolated kind of everybody living by himself herself so um, this is what i don't really like this is why exactly i'm moving to brussels for example because i want to see more people more diversity more people from everywhere and more open people so even for me right now people say like wow you're just you know like you you can talk you're uh, um you can talk to people and it's easy for you whatever It's still so hard for me because people aren't really like they're not so open. So even if I'm yeah I'm trying, but then it's hard also. Um, I think this is what what the hardest thing now about it, and and 
misunderstanding the word integration is now a big trouble for us. It's mm-hmm. really big trouble. Everybody think about integration as it's just like, you know, integration is just by you changing your culture, exchanging your culture with a new culture and just being here free, going around and doing things or whatever. But this is not the real integration. I mean, if we're talking really about integration and answering those people, the answer will be if I am integrating by, by changing my culture and having European culture, that doesn't mean that I'll be working. I mean, I can do that. I can then integrate perfectly. Then I don't work. Then I'm, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting around, hanging out, drinking the whole day, whatever, and just being, you know, like this the whole time. And then am I integrated? No. Integration, integration is putting maybe my culture right here, but in the same time working and having my money. This is the integration that, that, that can really be effective in this country, which can be me contributing and being aside to many other people in this country working and doing things. So this is the integration that I have to do without giving up on my culture, without giving up on all the things that I believe in. So um, I think it's very important that people understand this point and when they talk about integration to understand very well which integration they're talking about. Mm-hmm, exactly. So not just learning about a new culture, but actually integrating to the extent that you're sustaining yourself within that new culture. So you're living a life like other people are living, working. Just contributing in a society, mm-hmm, just being, mm-hmm. you know, contributing and building the society as anybody and being thankful for the chance. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the real, that's the real story of it. That's a real version of it. Mm-hmm. I think every single person that I've met that's left their country on on a crazy journey like yours um, as a refugee wants to add to the economy of their host country to their new country. They want to work. They want to sustain themselves. They're often very well educated. They're often highly motivated and driven. And that's something else I think to really just bring home here that you're not making those crazy journeys to live off UK or Belgian benefits, right? That's not what you're... For sure. I mean, for <laughs> sure. Like right now, even for me now, I still get my money through the from the government because I'm studying right now. Mm-hmm. But for sure tomorrow when I finish studying, I'll be working, I'll be mm. giving back to the country until I live from the country and I go back to my beloved country yeah so basically it's a short-term investment for them for a long-term investment back like a return on the investment that's that's the whole thing that's the point (laughs) that nobody nobody actually kind of like understand or try to understand Mm -hmm. at some point and um, the good thing to say is that even if you don't study and if you don't work if you're getting money from the government they won't let you so they will stop even giving you money because you're Mm -hmm. not doing anything this is what many people don't really understand. They think that, yeah, okay, you can just come, you can sit on a couch the whole day, watching TV and, and eating popcorn. Money. <laughs> and they will give you money. No, it's not the truth. Like, if only. <laughs> yeah, the truth is they will push you. They will say you have to follow these courses. Mm. If you don't follow them, you won't get money. Then you have to go work, get your money by yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a, it's really balanced. Like It's not like you know we're just being here, having the money and sitting around doing nothing the whole day. Um, but we still, I mean, I mean, I'm still really thankful for, for, like, for Belgium, for example, for having the chance to be there and to go to schools and next year, this year, to go to university and to start everything, start my life from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What are you studying at the moment? So uh, I'm going to start studying AI, artificial intelligence. 
Very exciting. That's like the the things of the future. You know what that leads me to? I think our last question, which is, what are your visions for the future and your hopes for the future? It's a very hard question. I know, it's a big question. It's a very big question. I really have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm very excited to, to, like, you know, to take more risks. This is why I'm studying such such thing like this is why i'm studying artificial intelligence but i'm still hoping one day in the future like this is why i'm studying it to be able to work from distance so if i can maybe work from distance if i can work from other countries making my money then being somewhere photographing and trying to do more humanitarian work i'll be glad but um um i'm really um, i had this idea the whole time i don't want to live from this world without leaving sign behind so i hope yeah who knows I'm not going to, you know, I'll give it secret, but who knows, maybe in the future something will happen. Well, Abdulaziz, I think that you're already, you'd already be leaving a lot behind in terms of a legacy of what you've achieved so far. I mean, like we were saying before we started recording that you've recently been doing lots of talks about your experience and your journey and you never know what ripple effect that's going to take who sees that and what part of it touches somebody or encourages somebody to take an action even if it's donating something warm or you know a tent or a sleeping bag or going to volunteer in Calais or whatever action that people take from that or whatever bit resonated with people that is definitely happening and you know that because you're getting messages and hearing it from people but there's also a lot of people that you don't even ever hear about that are affected and yeah it's a ripple effect and I think that the worldwide tribe this community that we've created and through refugees eyes and the work that you're doing that is all a part of really encouraging people to take action in support of one another and even just it doesn't even need to be taking a physical action it can be just changing your mindset and being more open to one another this is what i was actually saying like i'm not really my goal was never from the beginning like i want to change the world (laughs) no that wasn't my goal that's not my goal that will not be my goal my goal is changing one person even if i change one person how he thinks how he's behaving how he's doing things together like to toward other people or the way he's he's really kind of like you know treating people if i change that that means a lot for me and that really like in my numbers that counts very big that counts just big so i'm not really changing the world i'm changing you can't wait to see what the next few years have in store for you because i know it's going to be big well you thank you so much for the chance actually i'm very glad to be here and to talk and and to be able you know to represent some people so this is what exactly i'm doing here i know there are many people who died many people who are in the present today many people who are not able to talk today the language even this is why exactly i'm trying to do what i'm doing today to try to represent and to give them voice their voice back thanks for listening to this episode with Abdulaziz this is a brand new podcast so if you liked it please leave a review it will help us to keep sharing these important stories I'd love to know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear more of to share these with me head over to our Instagram account at the worldwide tribe follow and leave me a comment or a direct message The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. A big thanks to Alexander Wells for composing our original music and mixing this episode.